If you have a Bible, you should open up to Romans chapter 1. If you don't, I would encourage you to grab one of those blue Bibles underneath the seats around you and flip that open to page 939, and that'll bring you to our text this morning. Any Lord of the Ring fans? Okay, a few. I titled this message, Paul's Precious <laughs> Message. And I wasn't thinking of the Lord of Rings when I did that, but it made me think of the Lord of Rings after I did it. You remember that scene with Gollum? And I believe, uh, all of a sudden I can't think of his name, Smeagol had... I think it was Smeagol, stole his, stole his ring. You know, he called his ring, that, that the ring, is he called it his precious, my precious. Do you guys know? For, for those of you who haven't seen it, this makes absolutely no sense to you, and that's fine. Just ignore this whole part of the message. But, you know, it was, you knew it was important to him, right? You know, sneaky little hobbits, you know, because he, they, they stole his precious. And... I was just thinking, you know, this, this message that we're going to look at, which is really the gospel, Paul's precious message, I'll just tell you right up front, it's the gospel. That's what he would have called his precious. That's what have, would have been so important to him, to have and to hold and to be near his precious. I wonder this morning, what is it that you would call, if anything even, would you call your precious? Would you, something that you would... You would die if it was outside of your possession, or at least feel like you're dying, as Gollum did when he realized that he no longer had the ring. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, I'm just going to read the first six verses for context, because that's what we're going to focus on eventually, but we're going to do this over several parts. So it'll be a part 1, likely a part 2, and a part 3 to these six verses here. So... Beginning, just follow along. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, last week, you know, if you were here, we spent the entire time on just the first part of verse 1, okay? focusing on how Paul chose to introduce himself to his Christian readers in Rome as a servant of, or in the original Greek, a doulos of Christ Jesus, a doulos of Christ Jesus. And I spent some time trying to explain to you why a more accurate English translation of the Greek word doulos would be slave, not servant, slave. Paul was a slave of Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying. He was a slave of Jesus Christ, meaning that he believed that he was owned by Jesus, that Christ was his righteous master, his sovereign Lord. And as such, 
Paul's life was no longer his own to do with it whatever he wanted, but rather he recognized, he believed that it belonged now to Jesus Christ. And it was to now be lived out in loving and sacrificial service to his master. And so we talked about that last week at length. And you remember I said that as Christians, we too are dual losses of Christ Jesus. Our lives are no longer to be lived out the way we want to live them out, but rather to be lived out the way the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to live them out. And here's the great thing about Jesus Christ. He gives us a new heart so that we start to desire what he desires. We start to want what he wants. So this isn't a, this isn't a, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this. This is a, I'm going to transform your life so that you'll want to serve me. You'll want to follow after me. This is so awesome. Anyway, that was last week. But going back to verse 1 of Romans, Paul continues now his self-introduction to his readers there in Rome. And he does that by this phrase, called to be an apostle. So Paul, a servant, a doulos of Christ Jesus, the second phrase there, called to be an apostle. Now listen, while the phrase servant of Christ Jesus emphasizes Paul's absolute commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, You can't get more committed than that. I am a slave of him. He is my master. While it emphasizes that, the second phrase, called to be an apostle, emphasizes Paul's God-given authority to speak and to act or do on Jesus' behalf. One is commitment. One is authority. As an apostle, Paul was part of, now listen, he was part of a unique group of men who were appointed and commissioned, appointed and commissioned by Jesus himself to establish the church through the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples. Okay? We don't have apostles today. There are no more apostles today. This was a unique group of men. Now, I know there's some churches around here, like the church called the Apostolic Church, that believes that there are still apostles today. That is unbiblical. There are not. This was a unique group of men, gifted and talented and authorized straight from the Lord himself to serve as his representatives and establish the church that Jesus Christ gave his life for. Now, to understand better what Paul meant when he said, called to be an apostle, What does that mean exactly? Called to be an apostle. I want to just look at a few other letters quickly with you of the Bible where the Apostle Paul also introduces himself. Remember I told you that in the old days, ancient days I should say, when they wrote a letter, they did it a little bit differently. They would first introduce themselves, who's writing the letter, then they would address the readers, then they would give a greeting, which is different than how we do it today. We usually address the person we're writing to and then we put our name at the end. So if you go to Paul's letters, you'll see this him introducing himself. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 1.1, for instance. We're right now just looking at the way he introduces himself and looking at this term apostle and seeing some more information that we find about it here in these different letters. Paul. Remember in Romans, he said he was called to be an apostle, right? Here's, here's Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God. All right, there's a little extra information. All right. 
called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. How about Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, using the NIV here. Paul, an apostle, sent. Because apostle is basically a sent one, the messenger of God. Sent not from men, nor by man. Well, then who were you sent by, Paul? By, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay? That's good. This helps us understand what Paul means when he says in Romans 1.1, he's called to be an apostle. How about another introduction? 1 Timothy 1.1. Again, writing to the church there. Paul, or writing to Timothy, actually. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Okay, so in other words, here's the point. When you read this in Romans 1.1, that Paul was a doulos of Christ Jesus and called to be an apostle, Paul, he's, what he's saying is, I didn't appoint myself as an apostle, okay? I didn't, I didn't elect myself to this office. I didn't say, guess what I'm going to be today? An apostle. And by the way, men didn't elect me to this office either. Okay. Men are not the one who commanded me or took a vote and said, you know what, we think the Apostle Paul should be an apostle. No, that's not the case. But what he is saying is just like the 12 apostles. Are you familiar with them? The 12 apostles that we read about in the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Do you remember those guys, the 12 apostles? Any of you? Thank you, Lewis. Thank you, brother. Those guys, just like them, They were personally chosen by Jesus, right? We know about them. They were personally chosen by Jesus during his three and a half year ministry on earth. Just like them, it was also the Lord Jesus Christ. But this time, after Jesus' death and resurrection, okay, so different timing, not during his three and a half year ministry, but he has died and resurrected. But Jesus appeared to Paul and personally personally appointed him, chose him to be his apostle. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. I wasn't sent to you from some committee, by some committee. I didn't self-elect to be an apostle. I am here by command of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who has appointed me. I'm going I'm to explain in a second why that's important for you. So, based on that, Paul had the authority to speak and act on Jesus' behalf. That's part of the point. Based on that, he was elected by, appointed by, chosen by Jesus. He then had the authority, the right to speak and act on Jesus' behalf. We're not going to take the time to, to look at that encounter, but I want you to look at it if you never have, that encounter that the Apostle Paul had with Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. Okay, just go to Acts chapter 9, read through there. By the way, Paul is referred to there under another name, Saul, his Hebrew name, Saul. So Saul and Paul, same guys, same guys. That story is also recorded in Acts 22. Paul is retelling the story. So Acts 9, it's recorded for us. In Acts 22, Paul retells the story to a group of Jews who are listening. He's telling them about what had happened when Jesus had visited him and and appeared to him and chose him. And then you'll read it again in Acts 26 where he's standing before King Agrippa and he's telling him what happened when Jesus came. And you get, if you read all of them, you get the full, complete story. It's beautiful. 
but we're not going to take the time to look at that today. Here's the bottom line. As an apostle, okay, Paul's written words to the Christians in Rome, the ones we have right here, recorded for us, preserved by God for over 2,000 years. Those words that were written to Rome, but are also for us by extension, also Christians, here, reading them now, have the same authority as if the Lord Jesus Christ wrote them himself. You understand that? The same exact authority. This is not ultimately the words of Paul, ultimately. But standing behind this book and all the other ones is God himself who authorized this specific group of men to write his holy word. Okay? That's why the word of God is so important to us. That's why, man. If it was just the more words of men, I have a ton of books that are filled with the words of men. And they are not that precious to me. But because of who the author of this book really is, it rises to the level of most important to me. Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, going back to Paul's introduction in Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And what else? He has been set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. Look at it. It's there in your text. Set apart for the gospel of God. It simply means this, okay? That Paul was divinely chosen and appointed as an apostle of Jesus Christ. We've already talked about that. To do what? To receive, to preserve, to defend, and to proclaim the gospel of God that was given directly to him by Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means. Set apart for the gospel of God. That's pretty significant. How do I know that the gospel was given to him directly by Jesus Christ? How do we know that? We know that because that's what the scriptures tell us, not because I just made it up. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. There, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he writes this, For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself revealed the gospel to Paul. All right. So Paul, a doulos of Christ committed to Jesus Christ, has the authority of Jesus Christ, and has been set apart to proclaim and preach and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ given to him by the Lord himself. You with me so far? All right, good. Now, many of you already know this, but the word gospel, because we keep saying that, what is the word gospel? I'll just ask you, what does it mean? Good news Literally, good message. Good news, either way is fine. Good news, good message. That's what it means. Gospel, good message. Beloved, listen. The Apostle Paul valued and cherished this good message, the gospel of God, above any other. Okay? And he spent his life, he committed himself 
to proclaiming this good message and explaining this good message and meditating it on it and protecting it, by the way. Many of the letters written in the New Testament is Paul protecting that very gospel from men who like to or wanted to distort or pervert the gospel. Like suggesting that the way you get saved is by working your way into heaven. It's by what you do, not by what Jesus Christ has done. Okay, that's a perversion of the gospel, beloved. And so Paul had to battle that. But the gospel was his cherished, most precious message. All right, now we're ready for outline. Now we're ready for the outline. So we're going to begin to look at this Paul's precious message together, the gospel. And we're going to do that by, as we go through Romans 1, 1 through 6, we're going to consider six truths about the gospel so that, here's why, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're taking the time on a Sunday morning. Hopefully, at the end, you will treasure it, if you don't already, and be motivated to proclaim it just as the Apostle Paul did. That's the end goal. That Paul's precious will be your precious. Okay? That you will not be able to live without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about what that means. That you will want to proclaim it to anybody and everybody. That you will stand behind it, defend it, protect it, know it, meditate on it, and all of those things. So, we're going to just consider two truths this morning. Two. First, the gospel is attributed to God. We're going to see this in the text, hopefully. And second, the gospel is affirmed by the Holy Scriptures. Attributed to God and affirmed by the Holy Scriptures. What is the gospel? The good message. Good news. All right. First, the gospel is attributed to God. What do I mean by that? Well, if you said that you attribute your good looks to your mom or dad, what are you saying? You're saying my mom and dad are good looking. Well, you're saying more than that. You're saying that I got my good looks from them. Okay? It came from them. So likewise, the gospel or good message that the Apostle Paul treasured and protected and proclaimed was and is a message, beloved, that came from, guess where? God. It came from God. It originated with God. It is God's. It's not just any message. I try to get worked up for you, beloved. I, that's what I try to do up here, because I'm worked up. It's not just any message. It's not just any good message. It is the good message of God. Now, to this world. And that is what Paul means when he says in Romans 1, I have been set apart for what, Paul? What have you been set apart for? What have you been chosen for? I've been set apart for the good news. What good news, Paul? The good news of God. That's what he means. It originated with God. Now, maybe, maybe that is an obvious point, okay? Maybe you're saying, Jeremy, wow, I didn't, I didn't really need you to tell me that. I think it's right there. I can see it. It's so clear. It is not the gospel of Jeremy. It's not the gospel of Joe. It's not the gospel of this or that. Clearly, it says it right there. It's the good news of the gospel of God, right? But I want to pause. I want to pause for a second, and I want to apply that a little bit to us. I want you to think about the implications of 
the fact that the gospel that we talk about so much here, right? And we should, that we think about, that we preach about. It is not just the good news of anyone. It is the good news of God. Since the gospel originated with God or came from God, since it did and has, it must be. It must be. It has to be the most important and most valuable message that humanity could hear, study, explore, examine, think about, meditate on, and share with any other human being that will give you an ear. It must be, beloved. It is the gospel of God. Since it is the good message of God, then, it is absolutely, hear me, absolutely worthy. These are the implications of these statements. This is what it means for us. The gospel of God is absolutely worthy, then, of our time and commitment to really know it. To really know it. And to fully understand all that is contained within it. Every detail. Every part of it. It is a message, beloved, that is of immeasurable worth. Because the one it comes from is God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? He is the one. I'm going to remind you. He is the one. We know this. We sung about it. We even read some scripture already. But he is the one who is spoken about. And he is the only one who is spoken about in this way in the scriptures. Just let me remind you. Just listen. Follow along. Psalm 148 verses 1 through 13. He's the only one that gets this. Praise the Lord! Exclamation point. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No, that's not appropriate. You know, Chris was talking about the football game, and I've said this before. People get all fired up. God's, that's great. God bless them, okay? But then it, the same people, it comes to God, and they're like, yeah, pray, praise the Lord, yeah. Yeah, the gospel. Beloved, that's, something's wrong. You're missing it. You are seriously missing it. There is nothing more important than this. There is nothing more important than God. This is God's message. Therefore, there is nothing more important than this message. I'm going to apply this here in a second. All right, so here's how how the scriptures speak about this one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, storming wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, breast and all livestock, Creeping things and flying beast and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. They got you in there. They included you. Aren't you glad you stayed today? 
Let them, all of them, praise the name of the Lord for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. That's the one we're talking about. That's the one whose message Paul has been set apart to preach, to proclaim, to meditate upon, to know, to protect, to defend. That's the one. Let me illustrate it this way for you, okay? Try to keep it real. Kind of. I mean, it's an illustration, so we'll see how it goes. Imagine a small village, okay, in the ancient world where the people lived back in the day under the sovereign rule of a, let's just say he was a good and righteous king, okay? Little village, people lived there. You got the picture? Now, from time to time, common travelers would pass by this village and they would share some message, right? Some of the villagers would stop to to listen. Curious. But many of them didn't. They had things to do. They were busy with responsibilities. So they didn't stop and drop all their stuff and rush out to hear the message of this, this common traveler. But now imagine this. On one particular day, the king's representative rides in to the small village. And he announces loudly, I have a good message from your sovereign king. Now let me ask you something. What do you think the villagers are going to do? Oh, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got no time for that. I know you're laughing because you watch YouTube too. I ain't got no time for that. I don't want to hear that. Oh, I'm busy. Are you kidding me? I don't want to. I've heard that stuff before. Uh, Beloved, you know it's common sense, all right? They would stop what they're doing immediately. They would drop everything. They would run out. And they would stand before this representative of the king. And they would say, speak slowly. I don't want to miss a word. Of my good and righteous sovereign king who has sent us his message. Could you repeat that again? I didn't catch all of it. I'd write it down even. Huh? Now we are talking about the good message of our sovereign king, beloved. Not a human sovereign king, our sovereign king. It's his good message, our creator, our good Lord, which should elevate it to the highest place of importance in our life. So here's some questions. How much time? Just think. Don't answer out loud. How much time do you spend thinking about, talking about, learning about the gospel? How much time? In any given day, in any given week, in any given month. Is Sunday morning the only time that you learn or hear about the gospel? Is that it? For 45 minutes, 55 minutes? If the answer is none to very little, then that is a tragedy. It's just a tragedy, beloved. And I would plead, I would beg you to reconsider your commitment to the greatest message in the world 
that the world has ever heard. The good news of our God, our sovereign king. We cannot expect, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot, I cannot expect to mature as a Christian and reap the blessings of maturity if I commit little to no time knowing and understanding the gospel. I'm just going to be straight with you. Here's a pastor who's sat with people over and over again counseling them, okay? I'm going to tell you, one common theme is they don't know the gospel. They don't know it. They don't spend time in it. They're not familiar with it. They can't explain it. And if they could, I guarantee you, I would be meeting with less people. Because that's the power of the gospel. You've got to believe it, beloved. I'm telling you. I promise you. I assure you. The gospel has the power to transform your life and pull you out of the many messes that you find yourself in. But often, this is what we are as Christians. We're reactionary. So we're, we just ignore it. We don't, oh, whatever, pastor, blah, blah, blah. Nice service, bye. And then we do nothing the rest of the week, la, 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 right? And then eventually we get into trouble and we find ourselves miserable. And then we cry out, pastor, I need help. Somebody save me. And then I say, okay, come on. And I say, let's talk about the gospel and how the gospel can fix this situation. Why don't we do the reverse? Why don't we spend time in the gospel and then you can be helping people who are falling into one mess after another who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can actually be helping them except instead of always being the one running for help. Huh? Thank you, senior. Not that I don't want to help you. Not that I don't want to help you. I do. But I want to help you on the front side instead of the back side. Because guess what? When you've fallen into that big mess, there's consequences that I can't get rid of for you. Yes, you're forgiven by God. Absolutely. But the problem is your sin still had consequences. You're still, you're still going to suffer them. You are. That's just how it works. You sow, you reap. I would rather you not suffer those consequences. Is that wrong? I mean, is it wrong for me not to... To want you not to suffer those consequences? So listen to me. Here, here's something. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bring this home right here. Some in Bible Church right now. We have this study we're doing. You know what it's called? It's called the gospel-centered life. You guys, are you familiar? Any of you familiar with it? Some of you are because you attend our growth groups. It's called the gospel-centered life. You think, do you think we, like I've said this before, do you think that we think that your calendar's not busy enough so we, we look to make you busier? <laughs> My goodness. We are way busy. I get that. Too busy. We need to chop some stuff out of our lives. Okay? And, and listen, I'm going to say right now, because some people work. I get that. They work. They have to work, so they can't attend these things. But what about everyone else? And I'd be praying maybe for a different situation at work, maybe, eventually. I don't know. But what about everyone else? I encourage people. I beg people. I plead with people. Will you attend these growth groups? Will you do it? Why do you think I do that? We don't take a collection there. Maybe we should, but we don't. We don't, and we won't. We don't. We won't. God provides for us. We won't do that. We want you to come. We didn't even charge for the books this time, beloved. I tried to take away anything that would be a reason where maybe you couldn't be there, you couldn't come. And we have them on Tuesday night and on Thursday. Is that right? 
Thursday night and on Friday night and on Saturday. You just correct me when I get off base, Bill. You understand? We, we, throughout the night, I work during the week. How about Saturday? How about you work all week? And they're only twice a month, guys, twice a month. Why am I saying all that? Look, listen, you don't go, you don't go, it's fine. And you, you can feed on the gospel without having to go. But why wouldn't you take advantage? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't, beloved. So either you don't believe what I'm saying about the gospel, that it really is powerful, that it really can transform your life, or you're just so distracted, which may be the case with so many other things, you don't see that this is the most important thing for you. It must be your precious. Come on. Listen, out of the gospel-centered life, here's what it says. If we are to grow, I'm just quoting right from the book. If we are to grow into maturity in Christ, we must deepen and enlarge our understanding of the gospel. What is the gospel? Good news of God, right? The good news of God. It's his message. It's the good message of God. We must deepen and enlarge our understanding of the gospel as God's appointed means for personal transformation. Then he goes on to say, many Christians live with a truncated what is that crazy word? Well, it just means reduced or shortened view. They don't see it for all it's worth. So they live with this truncated view of the gospel. So he explains what he means. We see the gospel as the door, the way in, the entrance point into God's kingdom. What is he saying? We only see the gospel as a way to get saved. That's what he means. Christians think about the gospel. They go, oh yeah, that's the stuff you got to know to get saved. No, no, no. Yes, that's true. But that's not all it is. And then he says... But the gospel so much more, exclamation point. You see, don't miss those. It is not just the door, but the path we are to walk every day of the Christian life. It is not just the means. Okay, what is that? Of our salvation. Because it's not just the means of our salvation. So he's saying, it's not just what makes it possible for us to be saved, but it is also the means of our transformation. It's what makes it possible for us to be transformed. And transform into something good. It is not simply deliverance from sin's penalty, but release from sin's power. The gospel is what makes us right with God. That's justification. Hallelujah. And it is also what frees us to delight in God. To obey Him. To want to serve Him. That's sanctification. Ooh, the gospel changes everything. Now, beloved, if you believe that, then I wouldn't have to tell you to go to gospel-centered life growth groups. I wouldn't. You would be beaten down the doors. I'm just saying. Huh? Oh, you know we're not going to finish on time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, if I told you, if I said we're going to start a new growth group, only it's called How to Be Rich. I want you to just think about that. How to be debt free in 90 days. Let's make it realistic. Yeah, right. How to be completely, but it's got to sound really good. How to be completely free and rich and independent and be able to say goodbye to an alarm clock and tell your boss what a great time you had with him over the years. If I, if I, if you believed me, okay, and I held that class, and I put a sign-up sheet in the back, hmm, how many of you would beat feet 
especially if I told you it was limited to the first 10. It'd be like Black Friday in here. (laughs) And Lewis would get through to the front because he's one of the biggest men here. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying, beloved? Think about that. Just think about it in your own heart. If, If in your heart you would be motivated, how about this? How about if I gave a class that taught you how to get into perfect health? Perfect shape. Drop those pounds that you've been trying to drop with all these crazy diets that you've been going through all the years. But this time, I guarantee you, in 90 days, you will look exactly how you want to look. See, that's safe. That was safe. How you want to look. And if in your mind you're going, you bet, I would do whatever it takes to make those classes. Hey, they're every week. 7.30, I'm going to be there. If, If that's what you would do, but then when it comes to me talking about the gospel-centered life, we're going to spend nine lessons in the gospel-centered life. It's going to talk about the gospel, how it impacts you, how you should understand it, how you're going to get to know it more, and, how it, and what it does for you in your daily life and how you should apply it. Yeah, yeah okay, I'm going to see if I have time. If I have time, we'll see how it works out. We'll see. I don't know, right? I'm just saying, if that's your response, you think about that. What does that mean? Either you don't believe what I'm saying about the gospel or other things are just more important, which means you don't really believe the truth about the gospel because if you did, there's no way in the world you could think anything's more important, whether it be wealth, whether it be your health. Please. And notice that the apostle Paul, right, these apostles, he's not preaching those messages. I know some of these TV preachers, that's what they preach how to be rich, how to be healthy, how to be well. Not the Apostle Paul. He's preaching the gospel, the good news, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done for us, accomplished for us, what he is doing for us. Beloved, the gospel is not another man-made religion. It's not the result of human invention. It's not just another one of man's worthless, really, opinions or theories. Many of them, huh? Many of them, come on. I don't need another one of those. But it is the message of God. It is God's good news to a lost, hurting, and confused world that needs to hear, know, and meditate on this message more than anything else. And yet, it is the anything else, beloved, that so often consumes our lives, our hearts, our minds, our time. Huh? Is that right or no? It is so often the anything else. Now, the leaders of the growth groups don't know this. But in March, they're going to, one of those times, they're going to review all the lessons before. They're going to stop and they're going to review all of them. And that's going to help people get caught up, make sure they really understand the first lessons that we've done. And it would give an opportunity for people to jump in. Okay? Beloved, this is not about guilt, okay? I can't go. Okay. But just think through some of the things I'm saying. Why is it that you can't go? Why don't you want to go? If you can't go, you can't go. Okay? I get that. But the issue really is, do you want to go? And if you really want to go, many times a lot of those things can be overcome and will be overcome. You will do what you want to do. I'm just trying to plead and urge you to think about why you should want to do this. 
The gospel of God is the good message of our sovereign God, our creator. We're going to skip some stuff back there. We're going to jump right ahead to the second point. The gospel is affirmed by the Holy Scriptures. Yep, it is affirmed by the Holy Scriptures. You know what we're going to do? We're not going to do that because I don't want to rush through it. So we're just going to stick on this next point. We'll come back to the gospel is affirmed by the Holy Scriptures. So let me uh, close with a couple things here. Listen, I... I'm thinking about the gospel, okay? Because remember, that's what Romans is. It is the gospel. Let me remind you of a quote that I gave you just in the introduction to Romans a couple of weeks ago. I said this. John R. W. Stott said this, actually. I'm quoting him. He says, It is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. That's the book of Romans. Do you remember I said a couple of weeks ago, I want to encourage you guys, read through the entire book of Romans. Do you know that you can do it in about 30 minutes to an hour? Remember I said that? Don't know how many of you did it. I'm just going to encourage you again. But once you understand that the, Rome, that the book of Romans captures the heart of the gospel like it does, then and you realize the importance of the gospel, remember this is the good news of who? God the most important message you and I can hear or meditate upon or think about or or read or study, right? Then you understand why a guy like Martin Luther, a reformer, the great reformer, made this statement. I quoted this to you before. He said, regarding the book of Romans, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, word for word, by heart. Remember we talked about that? Memorizing it. That's what... That's what Martin Luther is saying. But also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. All right? Beloved, believing the gospel, knowing the gospel, not only saves us, but it is also what sustains us. Okay? You've got to eat every day, right? If you don't, what happens? You miss a meal. You miss two meals. What happens, beloved? Well, you get weak. You get weak. If you're like me, you get cranky. I get cranky, man. It's not good, so I have to eat. I start to shake. I'm a little hypoglycemic. I start to shake. And then other bad things happen. And eventually, if you don't eat, eventually you will die. Beloved, the gospel is that nutrients for our soul. When you skip out on the gospel, you are a weak Christian, I assure you. And the longer you skip out on it, the more you don't study it, meditate upon it, know it, your soul shrivels up. You are powerless to stand against the many things that come against us on a daily basis in our Christian lives without being saturated in the gospel. Now let me say one other thing, because I have like three minutes. Let me say this one other thing. When we come to, you know, looking at the gospel and, and studying the gospel, and I say, you've got to know it. You've got to know it to its fullest. And we're going to talk more about this next week because the gospel we're going to see is promised beforehand by the holy prophets in the scriptures. And that's actually a reference to the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about that. And I, and, I, and I have had people tell me, you know what, Jeremy? 
the Bible is just sometimes it's very hard to understand. And let me just say it is. Okay? Can we just agree? The Bible is sometimes hard to understand. You think it's easy for me? <laughs> it's not. Listen, it's not. 20 to 25 hours I give every week to put together a sermon. And even then I don't feel like I've given enough sometimes. Okay? I'm still, sometimes I come up here still wrestling with the text or trying to figure out exactly what's going on so I don't miscommunicate to you guys. Some passages are easier than others, right? Flee sexual immorality. Is that hard to understand? That means don't do bad things related sexually that God says don't do, right? Don't commit adultery, don't fornicate, don't lust, those kind of things, right? Simple. But there are other passages that are difficult to understand. And when we get to the gospel, there are things about the gospel that we got to struggle with to grasp, to really understand, to the depths of justification or exactly how does sanctification work itself out in my Christian life, right? But listen to me. Just listen to me. Hear me out. Just because it's hard, does that mean we shouldn't do it or apply ourselves to it or put ourselves more for it? Is that what it means? Should we, are we, is the deal that unless this is easy, I don't have to do it? Is that the deal? So when I begin to, to look at the gospel and study the gospel, man, this is hard, Jeremy. I've got to commit myself to time, and I've got to read, and these are words I don't know. Yeah, okay. They're words I didn't know either at one time. And then what I did was I got a dictionary, and I looked up those words, and then I knew what those words meant. And why did I do that? Because I believe in the core of my heart that if I know the gospel, it will set me free. That's what I believe. Not only has it set me free, but it will set me free from the chains of sin. It will redirect my life in a good direction instead of the direction that I was going in. It will cause me to bypass many of the sins that I would have committed otherwise and then have to suffer the consequences of them. I really, I truly believe that. I believe that because the word of God, that's what it teaches. And so when I come to something difficult, Lord, help me because I'm having trouble with this one. And I just don't wait to be zapped. But you know how he helps? He gives books and he has godly men throughout time who have written stuff out. So they make it sound a little more easier for you to understand. And so we recommend books. We have a study Bible back there. I go, hey, you having trouble? Get a study Bible. Start there. Read some notes. That's a good place to start. You see what I'm saying? When I, when I put together toys, when I've had my situation in life where I'm putting together a toy or a, a piece of furniture or something like that, you know you're supposed to read the instructions, right? I know some of you don't, and that's fine, but I do because maybe you're just talented, you can do that. But typically, the people who don't read instructions, it never actually looks right to me. There's like things that are messed up, and there's extra parts always left over. I read the instructions, but guess what? The instructions sometimes are written in another country or something. My language, but... I'm confused. I'm a little, you know, so I have to read them and I go, I, I don't know what he means by put this part over here. I don't understand the diagram. So I have to stare at it. I have to pray over it. I have to go get some food because I'm getting angry. And then I read it again. And I go, honey, tell me what this means. You see what I'm saying? I get help. Why? Because in the end, I, I know I got to read the directions. If I do it right, I'll get the end product. So I apply myself. And it's sometimes it's a burden, but I know in the end... The reward outweighs any kind of problems I had or struggle I had in trying to understand the instructions. Huh? 
Let's pray. Father, here's uh, what I ask, Father, that you would accomplish for your good glory and for our good, Father, that you would, I don't know, take something. And if there was anything, if this, if what I said or any part of it was worthless, Father, might it leave the memories of the people here forever. But Father, whatever part would work to cause them, us, to exalt the gospel of God to the highest place of importance in our life, would you use that, Father, through your Spirit? Would you take that and drive it home, deep into our hearts and our minds? That we would begin to ask, is the gospel important to me? And if it isn't, why isn't it? And God, help me. Help me. That it may be the most important message to me. It is your good message To me, Father, help us. And may we not wait to be zapped by you like some magical thing's going to happen and one day we're going to wake up and all of a sudden we're going to love the gospel and we're going to devote ourselves to it. God, it doesn't work like that. Father, you instruct us. You tell us, read the scriptures. Study. So it's going to take discipline, Father. So I pray that you would strengthen us in our inner man, that we would give ourselves to this cause, to knowing the gospel, to meditating upon the gospel, to memorizing the gospel, so that when we're out and about, what flows out of us is the gospel, so that those around us who are still lost and have no hope To them we might be able to communicate, not our message, but your good message, God. That they might be saved, redeemed, that they might be changed forever, transformed by the gospel. Father, saturate us. May this church be abundantly overflowing with the gospel because every individual, every Christian in it is saturated with it, are giving themselves to it. Father, we give ourselves to so many things, so many things, and most of them do almost nothing for us or in many cases harm us. We're concerned about our health, we're concerned about our looks, we're concerned about our bank accounts, and all those things have a level of importance, Father. But would we elevate the gospel of God, your gospel, above them all? And then our lives would be transformed for the better. And we would truly have an impact on our families, on our neighborhoods, on our places of work. Might you do that, Father. Demonstrate yourself sovereign and powerful amongst us by doing that, Father. I plead and I ask in Jesus' name, amen.